Welcome to Rhonda NP's Menopause Guide Podcast with Rhonda Jolliffe, nurse practitioner, hormone expert, and menopause mentor. Balance your menopause experience with natural solutions and regain control to live the life you love. Let's get started. Well, hey there, this is Chris Doctor, and I'm your co-host for the Menopause Guide Podcast with Rhonda NP. I'll be joined in just a minute by Rhonda Jolliffe. If this is your first time listening, we're so glad you're here, and thank you so much for joining us today. We produce this podcast every week, and you'll be able to find any of the resources we mention, as well as our show notes at our website, rondanp.com. Today's episode is number 008, and we're calling it, Why Can't I Sleep? So sleep disruption and this menopause thing seem to go hand in hand, and it's a real problem, and it affects so many of us today. We are going to unpack the reasons why this is happening to you and some actionable strategies that you can start right away to help recapture your sleep. Specifically, we will talk about hormonal shifts that are happening during perimenopause and menopause and how all of this shifting affects your cortisol and melatonin as well as your circadian rhythm. Rhonda and I discuss the subject of napping and the best hours to grab your sleep as well as what studies reveal to be the optimal amount of sleep for you. We will also look at the benefits of exercise as it relates to sleep, as well as the best way to slow down at night and get ready to sleep. Then we go through about a half dozen strategies you can try if getting to sleep and staying sleeping are your pain points. If this is your first time listening or you need a refresher on some of the basics of perimenopause and menopause, we will put links in our show notes on our website, rondanp.com to episodes 001 and 002. In these episodes, there's a free download, which is our Menopause 101 resource guide. It provides a handy hormone and menopause terms dictionary because all of this information can get somewhat overwhelming. And we really want to help you navigate and empower you to help get rebalanced and regain control. There's a lot of fantastic information in this episode. So let's get moving. So today we are going to be talking about the big topic of sleep disruption, which is something that a lot of us suffer from during perimenopause and menopause. And it's, it's really a struggle, isn't it? It is a struggle. It's a concept that I actually never really knew until this hit. (laughs) Did you sleep well before? Oh my gosh. I, I would, my head would hit the pillow and I'd sleep all night. I barely moved. I hardly had to make my bed. <laughs> so why does this start happening? And it kind of seems like it comes out of the blue, doesn't it? Well, it really is a hormonal shift. And once your hormones shift, they all shift. And so um, it definitely is what's going on is the hormonal shift that's causing a, a little change in some of the bigger hormones, the cortisol, and then the melatonin as well, which really have a lot more to do with our sleep directly, but indirectly it comes from the loss of estrogen and progesterone. So talk a little bit about this hormone shift for somebody who's listening for the first time, who's doesn't have the benefit of listening to uh, our podcast, actually podcast 001 and 002. If you haven't listened, it's a really good foundation in hormones and what's really going on. But at a high level, what's going on? Yeah, well, 
the progesterone hormone starts declining at around age 35. Estrogen really doesn't decline until you're closer to menopause and sometimes it even um, goes up a little bit more and there's quite an imbalance between progesterone and estrogen. So progesterone declining at, at age 35 per se, a lot of women start having issues at quite a young age that really aren't considered quotations menopause, but they're in that perimenopause phase when things are starting to change. Their periods might be starting to change and they're having those menopausal symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, yet they're still having their periods. So then during this time is when the sleep disruption creeps in a little. Yes, it does. And sometimes it's related to hot flashes and night sweats. Um, so you'll get, they will get hot at night and then start to sweat and that will actually wake them up. Oh yeah. 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 That's not so much fun, is it? Right. Right. (laughs) It's not fun at all. Oh my gosh. So how does melatonin and some of the other things you mentioned all tie together with the circadian rhythm? So melatonin and cortisol are really related in our sleep-wake cycle and it's called a circadian rhythm and they, they shift. So at nighttime, when we're sleeping, we're supposed to have a high melatonin level and cortisols are supposed to be down. And then as we get towards morning, the cortisol moves up, melatonin moves down, and then that makes us awake. So to be tired at night, you need a high melatonin level and a low cortisol. What's happening when you have hormonal shifts What happens is our cortisol levels tend to be a little higher. And so anytime our cortisols go up, the melatonin tends to go down because that's our natural way of um, our hormones in balance. And so when our melatonin goes down, which might be at 2 a.m., we wake up. And it's not supposed to go down until about 5 or 6 a.m. when the cortisols are starting to go up. But cortisol is going up at night can actually cause this disruption. And cortisol is a hormone that really is our stress hormone. And so that is affected when our progesterone and estrogen, testosterone start to decline because it's a stress on the body. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense then. For some of us, I know for me, for years, I wake up at 333. What the hell? I mean, every, you know, the same time every night. Is that typically what happens or within yeah. a range of time? When people tell me that they wake up between 2 and 4 a.m. and it's a lot of times the same time, it's 3.11 or it's 3.22 or whatever, and they tell me they wake up at the same amount of time and it is between 2 and 4 o'clock, that is because of cortisol. Oh, interesting. So, but there are other uh, health-related reasons why you would have sleep challenges, right? Yeah, there can be a lot of reasons and, and actually so much of it goes to basically the whole hormonal system being out of balance. So thyroid, you can have disruption in your sleep. If you get low blood sugars at night um, during your sleep, you might wake up. And so that has to do with the pancreas and the insulin control. And those are all part of the hormonal system too. So a lot of it has to do with hormones. It really does. Does also having challenges have to do with lack of exercise maybe? Well, those are things that actually help it. I can't say that no exercise causes it, but if you exercise, it helps lower your cortisol levels and it indirectly will help you sleep. Does that make sense? It does. Because it it's, it's like sometimes we think, is it a cause or effect? Um, it's not an actual cause, but exercise definitely helps you sleep. And so from a cause and effect standpoint, other medications are sleep disruptors, correct? Oh, yeah. 
There's, there's a pretty good list of sleep disruptor medications. And so that we tend to take, have them take at a different time of day if that's one of the causes, because it can help. So what are your thoughts on napping? Because we all love good naps if we can get them in, right? Yeah, there's actually some research that people that nap live longer. So that kind of is a nice little to do. Um, I really think that napping is an okay thing. Uh, if you can rest during the day, if your body's tired, you should listen to it and rest. And so if you're tired and you can rest and it's the same time of day and you take that 10 or 20 minute nap and you feel rested and you feel good and you're ready for the afternoon, awesome. I'm totally for it. So a lot of women complain of extreme fatigue during perimenopause and menopause. Would Will, will napping help that or is that uh, there's underlying things in addition to that have to be addressed. I really believe napping could help. The problem is, is so many people that were never nappers, they tend to think they're never nappers, so they they can't nap per se. But if they got in the habit of napping, they probably could, and I think it would be helpful. It does. I mean, naps are great, aren't they? They oh are. God, they are. So in this episode, we are going to address some of your top tips to get a really good night's sleep for the perimenopausal and menopausal woman and I think the biggest one and I am so guilty of this is being on my Facebook my Pinterest um, you know right until I go to sleep and I think studies have shown that this is not a good idea guilty this is not a good idea at all there's actually a light within those um computers and iPads and it actually shuts off your melatonin when your melatonin is supposed to be turning on it's shutting it off and so it's probably one of the worst things <laughs> so that is so interesting so it the light actually re- inhibits melatonin yes. production yes it does keeps you up and so when people are waking up at night I tell them to try and keep the lights off in regards to safety, obviously, but if you go to the bathroom, if you can keep the light off, if you have just enough light in the bedroom that you can make it to the bathroom and back, it's better than if you go to the bathroom, turn the light on, because the minute you turn that light on, that light, even that general light gets in your eyes and it shuts off your melatonin. Oh my gosh. And it's a lot harder to get to sleep. Interesting. Back to sleep. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So what's another tip? What, what are your tips about exercise? So exercise is really important, and the time of day might affect you or it might not. So some people say, well, if I, if I exercise after 5 p.m., I can't sleep. Then don't exercise after 5 p.m. Some people can exercise at 7 or 8 o'clock, and it actually helps them get to sleep, 7 or 8 o'clock p.m. And so do what works for you. Do what works for you. If it's keeping you up, then don't do it. Right. And we have a, another uh, podcast on exercise and the types of exercise that are correct for perimenopausal and menopausal women. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. And and just to brief on that, it, you know, cardio would probably be better in the mornings or midday. And then stretching and relaxation exercises in the evening can calm you down and, and ha- actually help you sleep. So what would be those? What would some of those be? So even just simple stretching, uh, stretching and doing some Pilates or yoga or anything that you do that is more of a calming, deep breathing with your exercising, that can really calm you down. It puts you more in a parasympathetic nervous system, which calms your gut, it calms your body, and it can help you sleep. And you know what's funny is, you know how everything's on YouTube? 
there are a ton of yoga and stretching videos on YouTube that are actually pretty good. So if you just have never tried or thought about trying yoga, you might look on YouTube because you know there's some great uh, options there. And if you're you know embarrassed, you've never done it before, do it in your bedroom, <laughs> do it on your iPad by yourself, you know, and just and see if you like it. I totally agree. They're kind of fun and you can get a different one every night too. So you don't get bored. There you go. (laughs) Good old YouTube. There you go. (laughs) So what are your thoughts around, um, caffeine and caffeine in general at this time in, in our lives? Oh boy, that could be about an hour long, but here's the deal on caffeine. When you're going through perimenopause and menopause, your body's really taken a hit in your cortisol and your adrenals, and that's really taken a hit. And it probably would help to get off caffeine for a while while your adrenals are healing. Uh, however, some people really feel they need the uh, caffeine. That could be a sign that your adrenals really do need to get off caffeine. So if you need caffeine to stay awake, if you're using it as a crutch to, you know, get that afternoon, I got to get my coffee or I can't get moving in the morning without a coffee, that's a sign that your adrenal glands probably aren't working really well for you. So weaning off of caffeine, switching over to tea, uh, that's uh, decaf or something uh, like lemon water or something else. And really switching that over can make a really big deal in healing your adrenal glands. Now, as far as like, is it healthy for you, unhealthy for you, caffeine has, or coffee in particular, and teas that have caffeine in them also have a lot of antioxidants. So I'm not saying that they're not healthy for you because there's a lot of studies that are showing there's some health benefits. But if it's affecting you in the way that you absolutely need it, then it's not good for you. And most people, if they drink caffeine in the evening, it does disrupt their sleep. Now, some will say that it doesn't, but I'm not quite sure about that. They'll say it doesn't disrupt their sleep, but then they're coming in with complaints of insomnia. (laughs) Sure. So another alternative is if you are drinking caffeine, do it early and really kind of stop at a certain point in the day. Yes. Okay. So another great tip for those of you who are experiencing these night sweats and hot flashes is really to try to keep cool. And there's a lot of ideas around keeping cool. Um, and you're, you know, your poor husband or partner is just going to have to deal with it because <laughs> you're hot, you're cold, you're hot, you're cold, right? Well, that's really interesting. I always said God was kind of funny when it came to this because men tend to be hot when they're younger and they get cold when they get older exact opposite for women so it's like what's this joke so women are cold when they're younger and then they get older and they're hot all the time so it really challenges your marriage so that's actually i guess keeps you going well and you know i was looking and there's some really specific recommendations the national sleep foundation did you even know there was a national sleep foundation suggests that temperatures above 75 and below 54 can really disrupt sleep. So, you know, science is showing that your best ideal temperature is 64 degrees. Yeah, that and that, and that is true. And some people have their home set for a cooler at night, you know, and then turned up during the day, depending on where you live and what climate you're in. Uh, the climate that I'm in right now, uh, it's pretty chilly. So 68 sounds about right for me. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. The other big tip is really about... Um, a relaxation because during menopause a lot of us experience anxiety so trying to relax before you go to bed is really important what are some tips you give your patients 
Well, the whole calming down, you know, just really quiet time, preparing yourself for bed, maybe taking a hot bath, get in some sort of a structure that's kind of the same every night, and you have this plan going and you start kind of calming down early. Putting yourself to bed? Yeah, and it's about a two-hour process. Uh, and, and so that's really important. But the, another thing that's really important is if you have anxiety and you're high energy all day, it's really ha- hard to calm down just for the nighttime. So I'm really a proponent of keeping your calm throughout the day. And so really treating the calm throughout the day. Because uh, people um, tend to be high strung all day long um, and think that they're going to go to sleep at night. So it really isn't just that nighttime thing. Taking a sleeping pill does not really give you that great a sleep if you're anxious all day long and high strung all day long. So it's calming down for the 24 hour period. That's a good point. That's a really good point. You know, as we talk about it, the other idea really is, you know, going back to the light is I've seen things that say, you know, your bedroom is for sleep and sex, not TV, not, you know, computer and everything else. And really, if you fall asleep with the TV on and you don't have a turn off, that blue light's going all night long. It is. It is. Yeah, so it's nice if you have a TV because some people, they do fall asleep better to the TV. Mm-hmm. And I get that. You know, other noises are bothering them. And it is a it is a noise that can actually be calming and help you go to sleep. But hopefully, you know, if you have a timer on your TV, I would suggest turning that off because you could wake up to the light and the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was off, you might not wake up in the middle of the night. Right, right. Now, the other thing that I've heard is the the importance of a mattress, that you're a good mattress. And a lot of, you know, it's not salesy. Like, you you really need to think about replacing your mattress. It's a really good plan. Uh, I can't even remember. Is it every three years or every five years? I mean, it's not very much. But... um, a lot of people have mattresses for 15, 20, 30 years. So yeah, that is true. Replacing your mattress is a really big deal. Right, right. Uh, the other the other thing, do you recommend you know really seeing a sleep specialist or do you think a lot of these things could help help people think about falling to sleep or staying asleep? You know, I think if you've had a sleeping problem most of your life, I think you should. If it's a new issue that it started right with menopause, I think it's more hormonally related, and I think we could really do a, there's a lot that we can do for that. Good, good. Are there any other tips that you can think about that might be actionable for our listeners? Hmm. You know, I think it's just exactly what we said and really figuring out what works for you cuz that's different for everybody. Some people, you know, can fall asleep no matter what the next person. They need to start at 6 p.m. winding down. So figure out what works for you and do that. Um, But just know that our sleep patterns, natural sleep patterns, um, really should be an eight-hour sleep a night. Oh, that's why it's always said that. And so you'll see research on seven or nine or, and some people need nine and some people need seven or only need seven, but really the average is eight and it's really from 11 to seven. So waking up at five in the morning is not nighttime or is still nighttime, you know, and staying up till 1 PM or I'm sorry, 1 AM, that's too late. So 11 to 7, if you can get somewhere around that, so if it's 10.30 to 6.30 or even 10 to 6, that's fine. But 9 to 7, I'm sorry, 9 to 5, that actually is not supposed to be our sleep-wake cycle. 
That's interesting. Yeah. And I think just being cognizant about sleep and what you can do to affect it, you know, we have been always, you know, dealing with our kids or, you know, either as babies or as teenagers and everybody's kind of how people are in your home affects your sleep. But now it's really important to take control of your sleep because in sleep you heal. Yes, you do. That is when the cells are actually doing a lot of work at night. And if you're awake, they're not doing their work. So your cells are healing at night. So extremely important. Good. Well, on that note, we wish you a good night's sleep. And to, to think about some of the things that we've talked about in this episode and really good luck with the sleeping uh, challenges during this time because they are real and they really affect your quality of life. So hopefully you have learned some things today. So thank you for tuning in. Yes, thanks. Take care and get some Z's. Thanks for joining the Menopause Guide podcast with Rhonda N.P. You'll find the show notes and other valuable information at our website, rhondanp.com. Don't worry about this menopause thing. You've got this.